Arsenal Ozil. Marca Mesut Ozil. Corner. Llegó el gol de Olivier Giroud. Marca el Arsenal. Marca Olivier Giroud. Gol de los Gunners. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there and welcome to yet another Arscast Extra. In this week of Arscast Extras, as always, with James from Gunnerblog, good morning to you. Good morning. What is this? Is this an Arscast Extra Extra? I don't know. It's a... I don't know. Extra, extra... Hear, hear, hear all about it. <laughs> Maybe we'll just have to go extra, 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 extra... That's difficult to say. Extra, 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 extra. That is. It's mm. a tongue twister. Anyway, Red today... Red lorry, yellow lorry. Yes, a bit like that. Today's show brought to you by Audible.com. If you want a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial, just go to audibletrial.com forward, forward slash arscast and you can get your free audiobook, a 30-day free trial, and it helps the podcast to become extra, 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 extra. So thank you for that. Hear all about it. That could be their slogan. Audibletrial.com. Hear all about it. Exactly. Come That's on. brilliant. I'm in the wrong business. We should be in marketing. Mm. So, I was. It's, it's a mess. I got out of it. Oh, yeah. The, the exploitation of people. But hello to all our marketing listeners. How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so anything strange or startling since yesterday? Since, um, since it, last week? The spoke? weather's completely transformed. I mean, I know that it's boring, so we start talking about the weather, but I... You know, I'm quite into it, and I was really enjoying it. We had a beautiful sunny weekend, and now the big man in the sky is either crying or pissing all over us. It is soaking wet. For goodness sake. Yeah, same here, actually. It's wet in Dublin, miserable, mm. grey, overcast. But that's not really news, is it? That's not really news. It's not. Here, before we start, <laughs> I've got a very, very interesting question to ask you. Oh, OK. Separate from football, separate from, I don't know, but imagine mm. that... Okay, let's say you're out there in the public domain. Let's say you're creating work for people. Uh, I don't know, a podcast, for example. Okay. Or it could be, could be anything. Some art. I think it's probably a little bit of a stretch to consider a podcast art, but it is something. <laughs> but what would you consider to be the measure of success? How would you know if you have done a good job or become successful at whatever your endeavor is, whether it's podcast or art or sculpture or acting or singing, how would you, how would you know if you would had... I know I'd made it? How would you know if you'd made it? Maybe pick two or three things that might suggest that you've made it. Um, that is a really good question. Uh, how would I know I'd made it? I think I'd want... Uh, a car with five doors. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, one of those is the boot, though. I'm, I'm not getting crap. I'm not just putting on, on doors where they don't belong. That would be weird, um, like one side of the car having three doors and the other only having two. I think if I could upgrade my Henry to a Dyson, that would be significant in the oh, mistakes. Oh, wow. Okay, that's really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like one of those Dysons where you can sort of see the stuff whizzing around inside it. I think that's a real mark of success. Okay. Um, and I think the last one, I guess, this isn't really to do with art, actually. This is more just to do with life. Okay. But my entire life, I've wanted to be able to go into any place, a pub, a restaurant, a cafe, and just be able to say the usual and then bring me something that they know what it is. All right. 
that's not necessarily to do with, with, with art, but I get that. I go to a bar fairly regularly and uh, I walk in with Mrs. Bloggs and, and the guy behind the bar just holds up two fingers, like two pints. And he knows, great. What, he knows what beer it is. And is that a satisfying feeling? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's fantastic. <sighs> See, that's what I'm looking for. I just want to be able to go in. Everyone gives me a smile, maybe a cheeky wink, uh, a thumbs up, and then suddenly they're bringing me drinks and food. I, do th- I don't know. I do think if I had achieved some sort of success, that would be easier to attain. So I stand by that one. Right, okay. So you want something like you want to be Norm from Cheers, so when everyone walks, when you walk in, everyone goes, James! Yeah, kind of. Yeah. I want to be where everybody knows my name. Right. Okay, so what if I was to say to you that those things are great, but perhaps the true measure of success, if you're out there, I'm going to say three words to you. Erotic fan art. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. All right. I, I got an email yesterday. Um, <laughs> is this true? Or I'm no, terrified. This is absolutely true. And I'm going to try and explain this to you. And then I'm going to email it to you and I want to see your reaction live. Right. So it's like a, a little image. Um, and the caption on it is, Andrew and James make bread. There's a little there's a little quote where it says the bread in your bread burger going back to what we were talking about before a couple uh. of weeks ago about bread burgers but there's there's a picture where both of us are t- topless now you only see us from the shoulders up so there's no nipple action or or chest action or anything well, like that that's some relief you are holding on to me with your arms around my neck Mm-hmm. With a very satisfied look on your face, it has to okay. be said. Okay, okay. And I'm there. I don't know how you would necessarily gauge the, the look on my face, but I think, I don't know if it's a, a flaw in the drawing, but I think there's a single tear just rolling <laughs> down my face. Uh, uh, is that out of pain or out of the sort of tenderness of the moment? I, I, I really can't say. I'm going right. to send this to you right now by email. So log on to your email and okay. have a look at this and tell me what you think. I'm going to wait for it to arrive. Oh, my word. <laughs> I mean, that's extraordinary. Wow. Do we know who sent this? Or Yes, this was sent to me by G-Peace. I don't know if that's his real name. G-Peace. If we, I mean, the problem is if we start, if we were to start using this as a sort of official marketing material, I think it would dramatically change, especially with the name Arscast Extra, <laughs> the, the nature of the listenership that we might get. That's ex- That's a... Wow. I mean, I'm not often lost for words, but <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. It's really something, isn't it? It really is. Mm. Well, we're very grateful to GPs, I guess. <laughs> it's pretty- I mean, we'll have to tweet this, won't we, or something? Or yeah, put it out there. we will definitely tweet this. I'll put it on the, on the blog so you can check out the blog um on arsblog.com and I'll put this in the body of the post that contains this this episode of the Arscast extra and if I can do it um in the Acast app if you're if you're listening to this via Acast I think I can add this as a as an image during the podcast right. so it'll it'll pop up I'll try and do that as well but it really is <laughs> an amazing piece of 
of artwork, isn't it? I mean, it's extraordinary. Guys, if you're going to send us stuff, maybe just send us the Dyson. I'd like the Dyson, really, more than the drawing. <laughs> so, but thank you all the same. Yes. So there you go. That's how you know you've made it. Erotic fan art. I have made it. Yes. All wow. right. So. Um, where, where to go from there? Well, Theo uh, Walcott. Theo Walcott, yes. So the guy who... So there's a story in The Sun saying that he's potentially close to move to West Ham, although I noticed they've slightly backed down on it. Between it going online yesterday and it being in print this morning, there's a, a slight softening right. of the story, I believe. Right. Uh, like when it went out online, it was he's close to a move to West Ham. And then I think on the back page of The Sun, it says West Ham are considering launching a, a bid. That is a bit different. It is a bit different, although there were some quotes from the co-owner of West Ham, David Sullivan, saying that later this week they're putting in a £25 million offer for a Premier League striker. So, the, you know. Yeah, the word there, though, is that that's been techie. That's, right. the, that's the word on the, the old Twitter. Ah, well, that Twitter would know. Mm. Well, um, there's nothing it doesn't know. Nevertheless... I mean, I don't want to crush all your dreams, so let's pretend... Let's, let's assume it might be the case. I mean, it feels plausible to me. Well, the Mail are also running that story. So it's, right. it's in two separate publications. Uh, so you wonder where exactly it's come from, whether it's come from West Ham or if it's come from uh, Theo's people who, you know... If, if, he was, if he was unhappy with his lot at Arsenal, that wouldn't be a surprise, would it? I don't know. I mean, Le- I mean, leaving aside whatever personal um, issues I have with him, and, and you know, people know I'm not his hugest fan. But if if he was a guy who wasn't necessarily happy with how much he was playing, then that wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. Would it? Or does he seem like the guy who kind of guy who might not be too heartbroken about not playing that often? And, I, it, yeah, I mean, you could get that sense, but I I suspect he probably would want to be playing more than he is. He's very much marginalised at the moment, isn't he, at Arsenal? Yeah. Like He's behind Iwobi. He's not playing on the left-hand side. He's not playing on the right-hand side. He's not being picked as a striker when Olivier Giroud was going through this you know, incredible goal drought. And I know Danny Welbeck was in there too, but Walcott hasn't been playing as a striker at all um, in the second part of the season. You know, I suspect he probably would want to be playing more often somewhere. Uh, I don't think he's the kind of guy who's going to agitate and make a real fuss about things. You know, he's too polished in terms of his, what do you call it, his... Uh, PR. His, his PR, yeah. He, he he pretty much always says something that can't be in any way construed differently one way or the other. He's not going to be the guy involved in a scandal because he's misused words or anything like that. So I don't think he's going to be the kind of guy who would kick up a fuss. But maybe behind the scenes, when we heard that he was quite uh, vocal on his desire to play as a striker as part of his contract demands a couple of seasons ago. So maybe he is, you know, behind the scenes a little bit more bullshy or, yeah, forthright. Maybe that's the best word. Maybe. I mean, also he's got his international place to consider... You know, it looks like he he might well miss the Euros this summer. So Mm. um, there is that to bear in mind. I mean, I saw a figure of £24 million or something bandied around or something like that. I mean, that kind of money for Theo Walcott would be very difficult to turn down, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it feels like it's gone stale for Walcott at Arsenal. Like the manager's attempts to play him as a centre forward have worked at times, but for the most part haven't. He doesn't yeah. trust him as a wide player anymore. There's certainly more... What's the word I want to use here? 
he's a bit divisive at this point, isn't he? That there are people who like him and there are people who really, really don't like him. And I think yeah. it's gone too far in some respects with, with certain people who who would prefer to see him somewhere else. So I do wonder if for his own sake, for the sake of his own football career, and for Arsenal's sake, if it might be better, take that money, reinvest it into a player who can provide some of what Theo Walcott provides because his pace certainly is a weapon, uh, but bring somebody in who can perhaps be a bit more consistent in terms of what they produce. Walcott could certainly go somewhere and play very well if he regains his confidence, if the team is set up in a way that uh, suits him and perhaps offsets some of his weaknesses, who knows, he could go off and, and play very well somewhere. But mm. I think at this point, it's gone really quite stale at Arsenal. And I don't think, when it comes right down to it, that the manager trusts him uh, to play him as a, a starter. He hasn't done for you know probably 18 months now, apart from that little spell when he played up front. No, I saw some quotes uh, yesterday from the beginning of the season where... Uh, Arsenal was talking about Walcott's potential to become a prolific goal scorer, how he believed he could easily reach 20 goals. You know, he's currently got nine in all competitions and his form's really dramatically dipped away. Mm. I think you're right. I think that if he does leave the club and he finds form elsewhere, there'll be people saying, ah, oh, we shouldn't have let him go, you know. But I, I think that actually it's probably not going to happen for him now at Arsenal. It feels like... It feels like it's kind of run its course and this feels like a natural breaking point. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'd say about him is that, you know, he's not he's not as young as he he once was. He's 27 now. I mean, I just think that if he was going to hit the heights that we were hoping for, they would have happened at this point. Uh, and, it, and it hasn't, and injuries have been a part of that. But I also think that he's very difficult to fit into a system. You know, I think that Arsenal are a team that can't really afford the luxury of Walcott at times. Um, and so it might be the best thing. And I think certainly in terms of playing every week, if he wants to play every week, he's probably going to have to move on. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I mean, people talk about how wages might be a problem. I think there's so much money in the Premier League that uh, those kind of wages won't really be an issue. There's always a way of making a deal happen if everyone involved wants the deal to happen. You know? That's it, yeah, and I'm sure you know West Ham have already got players. I'm sure Andy Carroll's on a, a big chunk of money there, and there's so, there's more money coming into that club. The moving stadium, I saw they'd sold out their season ticket allocation already for the Olympic Stadium. Mm. Um, they're going to be awash with money, so I don't think that would be a problem for them at all. They'll definitely be looking to make one or two big marquee signings. This I mean, did, yeah, I mean, people are talking about West Ham. Maybe Walcott's ambition is a little bigger than West Ham. He might view us. I mean, he might want to go play for a Champions League club, but it's difficult to see where exactly else he might go. I mean, Liverpool, possible destination. He's a Liverpool fan, as we know, and was linked mm. with them in the past. Um, so he he could certainly he could. It wouldn't surprise me if they were perhaps interested in him or if he was interested in them. But uh, you know, aside from that, where does he go? I can't really see him going abroad anywhere. Can you? No, I can't see that. And he's been linked with uh, Manchester City a little bit, but I can't see him as a Pep Guardiola player. Mm. Um, so I, I think uh, Liverpool maybe. He's been linked with Chelsea in the past, hasn't he? But I, uh, I find that hard to see him move across London. I think West Ham, I mean, I know it's another London club, but I think it, it's, there's something about it that seems to fit. I think it's a, a good level where he could be their star player and their most important guy um, and there's a kind of ambitious project there mm. that might appeal to him um, but 
it, we'll, we'll wait and see. I mean, do you think that Arsenal's ready to to cut the ties? As it were, it's been ten years, of course, that he's been working with Walcott. Yeah, I think he would. I think he would. But I, some of that would be dependent on a replacement. Being able to find the right person to come in. Uh, and uh, as I said in the blog today, I think a wide forward is definitely going to be on our shopping list this summer. Maybe what's happening with Danny Welbeck, could that have an effect on what happens with Theo Walcott? The The word is this morning that it could be three to six months for Danny Welbeck. So you're looking at perhaps a return around Christmas time. So that then would have a significant effect on what Arsenal need to do to build a squad ready to start next season, for example. Because if you let Welbeck go, you let Walcott go, regardless of what you think of them as options, they're options. Mm. Um, And part of our problem this season, if you look at Alexis Sanchez, was not being able to give him some rest in the summer after a Copa America and all that kind of crack. So he's thrown in the first day of the season. It affects his form, his fitness, and and we've seen that throughout this season. Um, You know, what we need to do in the transfer market may well be affected by what's happening with, with Welbeck. Um, so that might then have a knock-on effect on what Arsenal want to do with Theo Walcott. But I suspect if the right money came in, I think we'd let him go. I would agree with you. I think I think we probably will do. If if it's anything like that kind of 20 million bracket, I think Arsenal will definitely be tempted. Mm. Um on the incomings, did you see the story? I don't know how much credit you gave it, but in France football about Arsenal in talks over Riyad Mahrez and N'Golo Kante? Mm, I did see that, yeah. Um, think, does it feel like a, just putting two and two together a little bit? or Yeah, a little bit. It was, what was the, they made a strange, it was a strange way of putting it. that They said something like discussions have already taken place. Yeah, preliminary something. discussions over a double deal for both players. Yeah, something like that, but no, in no official contact has been made, or you know, yeah, it just sounded a bit kind of vaguey, transfery, and yeah, look, if we were if we weren't interested in Mares, I'd be surprised. Yeah, if we were really genuinely interested in Kante, I think I'd be surprised by that as well. Right, I have to say, just because he's got a style that's very particular to the way Leicester play and not necessarily is suited to us. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's like he's been absolutely brilliant for Leicester, but I do wonder if you put him into a side where there's more expected of him as a footballer rather than an interceptor and I won't say destroyer because that, you know, um lessens what he's done. I do wonder if if he would be the same kind of player. Um the links to to Granite Xhaka, Shaka, Xhaka Shaka. Yeah, uh, they seem a bit more sensible to me in terms of what he does as a as a midfield player. Yeah. Um, so we'll, what, we'll what do you see. think Wenger's uh, truck with Cochrane is at the moment? Do you think there's what's going on there? Because Cochrane's so integral to the way the team played for for so much of last year, mm. and now the last few games found himself on the substitutes bench. Do you read anything? particular into that? Do you think they're going to be looking to upgrade on him next season? Or I don't know. I don't know. Um, it does feel a bit like he's been left out rather than Ramsey and El Nenny have played so well that you can't just drop them. You know? Yeah. And I do think that there are compatibility issues in, in midfield. With I mean, I was a little bit surprised to be perfectly honest that against Man City... He didn't try Ramsey a little further forward with Coquelin and El Nenny behind him. 
That's that's what I would have done. I think I would have put Ramsey in as Ozil's replacement as, as the number ten, and put Coquelin and El Nandi together. Yeah, which is a partnership that did seem quite promising, certainly in a few games. Um, you think of Everton and you think of Watford. Yeah, and they performed well together. Yeah, they seemed to actually complement each other, which was interesting. But then we can't really say because they didn't get enough time to play together because uh, Arsene likes to use Aaron Ramsey in the midfield. Mm. Um, And I like Ramsey, but I don't think he's been playing well at all um, recently. And I think his pass completion against Manchester City was very low, although Arsenal's pass completion in general was very low. But I thought it it might have been an interesting experiment to use Ramsey in, in the role that Mesut Ozil usually plays. Just to see, because you know he does like to be that f- more forward guy, uh, and whether he could make that m- make that step into the uh, slightly more creative role would have been would have been interesting. I actually think that's probably his more natural position, but the fact that we have Mesut Özil there means you mm. know he's, he's not going to get a look in there, so it's a, a slightly awkward one trying to make him fit. Yeah. What I always think about this Shaka link, if that comes to fruition, is that he he sounds like the kind of player who could be sort of an heir apparent to Arteta in terms of someone who can win the ball but also distribute the ball from the base of the midfield. And Arteta and Ramsey was probably one of our more, more successful midfield partnerships of recent years. So yeah. maybe there's, Arsene's got one eye on, on that in the future. Yes, yes. Uh, interesting, um, John Torral, young mm. midfielder, who has had a really good loan spell at Birmingham. And when you send a young player out on loan, We've seen it many times that they have reasonable seasons, but he seems to have had a stormer at Birmingham. Yeah, fans player of the year, players player of the year, and goal of the season. Yeah. He just awarded those last night. Um, I suppose when we go into a summer where midfield changes are inevitable because of the departures of Rosicki, Arteta, Flamini, and who knows uh, who else might, might be on the way, you want to replace those with established talent, but also um, we've seen young players come through. Um, if there's something to be read into what Leicester have done this season, then it, it's, it shows you that you don't necessarily have to spend a huge amount of money on players to make an effective team. Do you reckon there's any any hope for him? Any room at the inn for John Torral? I don't know. He was very highly thought of when he first came over, wasn't he? He came with uh, Hector Bellerin, if I'm not mistaken. That's right, yeah. yeah. Um, and obviously hasn't enjoyed the success that Bellerin has in terms of the first team, but I suppose he's competing in a much more congested part of the field. He's 21 now, um, was 21 in February. I mean, it's difficult to see. I, I, I'd I, like to see him given a chance to be a part of the squad. Why not? I mean, actually, when you look at the other young players coming through, you know, we haven't... Zellerlem, for example, there was, was extremely hyped and talked about but he's he's been at Rangers in the Scottish second tier he's played a fair amount of football but mm. he hasn't quite caught the, the eye in the same way um, the championship's a really good strong league and I think Terrell has obviously been a, a top performer in it so I suppose what you'd like, hope to see is that maybe he if Arsene does think there's a chance he comes back he spends pre-season with the squad maybe you know takes part in the friendlies and then a decision's made in August mm. um, I know people will be listening screaming well we need better players than than that, but actually, 
in terms of needing squad players, you know, we're losing people like Rosicki and Flamini who've played a handful of games between them this season. We also need people to fill those roles too. And in some respects, a, a younger player might might make sense there. Yeah, yeah. Be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, pre-season is a chance for him to to show the manager what he can do um, when he gets back to the club. But uh, he's had a fantastic season at Birmingham. So, I mean, presumably they'll be desperate to keep him, but I... I I doubt if he was to go on the market that they would be the the winners in that particular race. I'm sure there'd be lots of takers, um, you know, around the lower reaches of the Premier League, top top echelons of the Championship. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, look. Anything else catch your eye from yesterday? That was about the that was about it in terms I think of the that's stories. About the long and the short of it. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to take a short little break. We're going to come back in part two. We're going to talk about some of the best moments of the season. We're going to take a couple of questions. Uh, some of the best moments that you've sent to us on Twitter. So uh, hang tight. We'll be right back with more erotic fan art. Welcome back to this Arsecast Extra, 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 brought to you today by Audible.com. You can get a 30-day free trial and a free audio book by going to audibletrial.com forward slash Arsecast. If you go on there and search for football, there's all kinds of football books on there. For example, uh, Das Reboot, How German Football Reinvented Itself and Conquered the World by Raphael Honigstein. Big Sam, my autobiography. Would you listen to that? Um, maybe if I was being tortured or something like that, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's Bobby Robson autobiography there. What else is there if you search for football? Das uh, Reboot's good. I've read that. Yeah. But, I mean, I would have preferred to have had it read to me. Uh, I'm Not Really Here, A Life of Two Halves by Paul Lake. That was quite a good book, actually, I have to right. say. That was good. There's stuff there. And you don't, it doesn't have to be just football or soccer. Spain, the inside story of La Roja's historic treble by Graham Hunter, narrated by Graham Hunter. Loads of stuff on there, but it doesn't have to be football. It can be anything you want. Search for whatever you want, and you can get a free audiobook at audibletrial.com forward slash arsecast. So... Ooh. Very fast there. You sounded like, you know, when people press double speed on a podcast. It was oh, very yeah. exciting. Was it? I got carried away with myself there. Just I enjoyed it. <sighs> All right. So we're going to talk about some of the best bits of the season. Yep. Um, which we're going to have to offset at some point with the worst bits. Perhaps we'll do that tomorrow, will we? Okay, fine. That'll be a that'll be Black a- Wednesday. <laughs> so, um, all right. We're going to start with uh, best player. Who's Who's the best player for you this season? For Arsenal? Yeah. Ooh, uh, do you know what? Well, it's very tempting to say Mesut Ozil, isn't it? Because he was in such inspired form, particularly in the first half of, of the campaign. Mm. He's definitely dropped away, I'd say, a little in the second half, not helped by the poor finishing from some of our forwards. Um, but in terms of overall contribution, I think I would I would have to say him. I'd like to give an honourable mention, though, to Nacho Monreal, because... A bit of a left field choice at the left back, but he's just been incredibly consistent. Yeah. And I think he's the one player who I, I would say at no point in the season has he sort of gone through a bad spell or, or dropped, dipped below a certain level. And I think that kind of consistency deserves recognition as well. So I'd, I'd probably go for Ozil, um, but I, I think Morale's the sort of dark horse for me. What about you? Yeah, I think uh, Ozil for me, just because of the the amount he's created... The uh, the eighteen assists, the 
I don't know, 100 chances or whatever he's created in, in the Premier League this season. It's that crazy, it's like 150, from. something ludicrous. Yeah, I'd also go, I'd also have a word for uh, for Monreal as well due to the consistency. I think he's probably looked a little bit tired in the last the last month or six weeks mm. or so, but I think that's true of quite a number of the players. Um, but aside from that, it's difficult. I mean, you would at one point have said Petr Cech, who's had a a real impact. He went through a fantastic spell where he made a, a lot of good saves, but he's had a few little few little issues as well, hasn't he? Yeah, he has of late. Yeah. Uh, well, not even of late, the opening day, of course. <laughs> well, yeah, he didn't start well, but he picked it up then and uh, he did make some brilliant saves and there were times when people were uh, sending in their questions going, uh, Chelsea said that uh, Petr Cech would be worth 10 or 15 points a season. Isn't this very true, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. I don't think you can really hold him up there, though, completely. Are there any other contenders at all? I'm just trying to think. Well, Bellerin's been good. Yeah, only player in the PFA team of the year. Um, I mean, Alexis has contributed. Fits and starts. Fits and it, starts, yeah. but never really played his best football. Olivier Giroud, like up until January, Giroud was having a very good season. And then, of course, he's fallen away, uh, remaining our leading scorer, of course. But apart from that, I don't really think you can... You can say anybody's been anything other than kind of average. Nobody's really shone or stood out, have they? No. no Joel Campbell, no. little mention for Joel Campbell. In terms of what he did, as opposed to what was expected from him, and yeah. then, yeah, I mean, it, it, it feels a bit like he's been left out, despite the fact that he's played well, when others have been played, when they definitely haven't played well. I think Joel Campbell's been a positive surprise. I think he's exceeded expectations. I'd, I'd say probably Mohamed Al Nenny's exceeded expectations as well. Mm. Um, but again, not much more than what you would expect. <laughs> no, yeah. Mm. Uh, he's marginally exceeded expectations. I mean, there, there aren't many contenders really, are there? I think I think Czech, Montreal and, and Ozil are probably the three. Bellerin, I think, maybe as well. But uh, it, it probably ought to be Ozil. He's been great to watch at times, and I think he probably deserved a, a little bit more from some of the players around him. Mm, on that, uh, Bjornar Ostby uh, says, best moment for him of the season, Ozil making 8,643 chances against Bournemouth at home. Question, how did that not finish 732-0 that night? And that yeah. speaks to what we didn't do uh, with the chances uh, that, uh, that he made. All right, wh- what was your best goal of the season? Best goal in terms of the goal I enjoyed the most or the sort of quality of it? I suppose there are two yeah. two, two potential answers, aren't there? Um, I think my, my favourite goal... I think I'm going to go for Alexis's second goal against Manchester United in the home game. That was the, the thumper. The thumper. It was the one he scored against Liverpool earlier in the year mm. as well. Um, I just... It was so emphatic and... You know, that was such a resounding victory and everything felt so optimistic at that time. But that was a brilliant goal and a brilliant moment and sort of underlined our superiority on that day. I mean, it's making me misty-eyed remembering how naively optimistic I was then. Mm, Don't Um, cry. 
I mean, he actually, he's actually his first goal in that game was pretty brilliant too. That well, was that, the, yeah, that's the one that I was going to go for. That's certainly one right. that sticks out for me. The flick in at the near post, the movement, the quality of the ball from from Ozil, the flick in at the near post, just everything that you wanted from those front two um, was there in that goal for me. I thought that was that was one of my favourites for sure. Yeah. What else did uh, you have? Um. I mean, in terms of the, the, just being a, an excellent goal, there were a couple of contenders. I thought of Olivier Giroud's goal at Anfield. I thought that was a brilliant take from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a piece of individual skill. Uh, I really enjoyed Callum Chambers' goal earlier this season. I don't know who that was against. Do you remember the outside of the foot? Uh, was that little, Bournemouth, I think? I, maybe. it was a. There was a little through pass from Alexis, I think, a nutmeg. And then Callum Chambers with the outside of his right boot just bent it into the top corner. Ah, was that the FA Cup game? Maybe. I'm going to really find in... out for you right now. Yeah, because that was a, an impudent finish from him and uh, not necessarily, you know, uh, one you would expect. It was against uh, Burnley in the FA Cup, yeah. Really good go. goal, yeah. And then I suppose in terms of pure, I mean, hilarity and enjoyment, it's hard to beat a match of Flamini volley to win a match at White Hart Lane. <laughs> that is very true. I mean, what a goal that was. By any standards, yeah. by any standards, that was a really brilliant goal. Ball falling from 600 feet in the sky and Flamini not known for his precision or deftness, I guess you would say. <laughs> uh, to, to volley it in like that was, was fantastic. Um, I got to say that the I had that one marked down as well. I got to say that the uh, the Giroud goal against Crystal Palace towards the start of the season, yeah, that was a really good goal. Um, and just in terms of what it meant or what we hoped it meant, even though it turned out it didn't mean a great deal in the end, was the Welbeck goal against uh, Leicester. Just, just for the pure visceral emotion of it, I thought that was that was a, that was a great moment. That was, I mean, that was probably the high point of the season. I mean, I, I know that there'd been difficult spell before that, but that was the point at which I thought, ah, maybe Arsenal could win the league here. It felt like the, the kind of thing that happens to champions, you know. Mm beating the team who are top of the table in stoppage time. There was the kind of romance of a guy who'd just come back from injury, getting the goal. Um, obviously, we managed to mess it up pretty spectacularly from that point on. Yeah. But at that very point, I was absolutely with you. I was elated. Mm, yeah, the Flamini goal was a, a favourite moment for Tom at T. Canton 94. Um, actually, it wasn't. It was somebody else who said that. It was Andre <laughs> underscore Grayson. Andre Grayson. Yeah, Tom, Tom Canton says, do you feel if we hadn't conceded that last-minute Joe Allen goal, we'd have finished much better this season? That can wait till tomorrow, Tom. Because yeah. that's right up there with the fucking worst moments. And also, uh, <laughs> I'd like to say that uh, the Flamini goal was also cited by Emperor Bumblewank. <laughs> <laughs> His Twitter handle is at Capable of Flight, and he just said, Flamini, League Cup, all day long. Okay, that's a good one. All right, best game. Best game. Um, in terms of the Arsenal performance... Oof. Okay, so we have... I have two here. Our best game and best performance. Okay. So we could we could mix them up, I think. Well, have you got a best game? I might need a bit of help here. Well, again, I come back to that Leicester game because of what we thought it meant and what the consequences might be. 
and just the way the stadium at the end of it was absolutely rocking, mm. amazingly atmospheric, and it felt like, okay, we've had a difficult time. Now we've beaten Leicester, even though they're down to 10 men, but you know we showed the character. It was all there. All the ingredients were there for that game to be absolutely pivotal in our season. Maybe with the benefit of hindsight, it wasn't. I think there's there's one one candidate for the best performance, and I think everybody will point to the 3-0 win over Manchester United as that yeah. being the best performance of the season because we'd started so indifferently, right, in in the uh, in the league. Um, performances hadn't been great. We lost the opening day to West Ham, got a win against Crystal Palace, drew against Liverpool, scraped a win against Newcastle. Uh, what did we do with the next game? I think we beat Stoke. Um, then we lost to Zagreb in the Champions League. Then we lost to Chelsea in the Premier League, that ridiculous game at Stamford Bridge. Then there was the Capital One Cup game against uh, Tottenham, Flamini doing his Flamini thing. 5-2 away at Leicester, and Leicester were high-flying, and we came from behind. You're thinking, okay, all right, maybe we're on it here. And then we lose to Olympiacos at home in the, in the Champions mm-hmm. League, and it was all so fucking up and down, and you couldn't see where it was going. When you look back on it now, it's clear that this the inconsistency uh, was obvious from the very start of the season. But then 3-0 against Manchester United, and we played so well. And everything went so perfectly on the day that you thought, okay, well, this is how we should be playing. If this is what these guys are actually capable of, they finally burst into life. And on the day, it was just absolutely fantastic, exhilarating football. United had no clue, had no idea how to deal with us. And what what made it really interesting was the fact that we, we just absolutely blitzed them in the first half. And then in the second half, we managed the game. We completely controlled it. And you thought, okay, fuck right, this is it, do that, do that. And that, I think, was the best performance by a mile. I would probably agree with you. I think there were some other uh, good performances. I thought, you know, we... Let's not forget, earlier this season, we beat Bayern Munich, who at the time were pretty fearsome opponents, uh, mm. and we got a 2-0 home win over them. I also think the 3-0 win at Olympiacos probably worthy of mention the pressure that we were under at that time. You know, we had to go there and win by a certain margin. I thought we did it in an exceptionally uh, professional manner. Yeah. Uh, um, what an assist by Joel Campbell as well. That well, time. there you see, you've, you've gone on to the next question. That was the, the best assist of the season. Well, there you go. There I, don't, you go. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But, uh, yeah, so I think those, those games... Um, we beat Manchester City at home as well. But I think you're right. Absolutely, the United game was the best performance, yeah. Mm. Uh, it, it, you're absolutely right. We laid down a blueprint then that we seemingly mislaid sometime around Christmas. Yes. Yes. Uh, Marshall, Marble Halls underscore TV says, best Arsenal moment, Sanchez, two goals versus United. Mm. Best overall moment, Vardy breaking scoring record. That's odd. Yeah. A bit odd. Well, I mean, it was against Manchester United that he did it. So oh, yeah. There was some satisfaction to be taken from that. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, Drew Peterson at Drew P503 says, best moment, Bellerin interception run setting up Ozil to clinch three points against Bayern. That was pretty exhilarating, I thought. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of shouts as well for the best moment of the season being um, Craig Dawson's late equaliser against uh, Tottenham for West Brom. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I think Bradley Powell 
uh, sent that in, and I, I, I'm inclined to agree that obviously was joyous to see that take place. But uh, what are we on to now? Best assist. Best assist. Well, I'll start with that Joel Campbell one against Olympiacos. I mean, that was, you know, absolutely extraordinary, wasn't it? The footwork in the penalty box and the neat through ball for mm. Giroud. That was one of those moments where you're like, who is this guy? Where's he come from? Yeah. Um, on top of that, I mean, there are countless Mesut Ozil ones, aren't there, that you have to scroll back through. I think in terms of the sheer gratitude I felt for it, the sort of crossfield pass for Kieran Gibbs to equalise against Tottenham yes. is one that jumps out of me at a time when we were absolutely desperate for a goal and he provided one with a, a brilliant lofted pass. Yeah, I mean, even Giroud from the one against Manchester City could be up there with a, one of the, one of the yeah, best true. assists. True. Um, but yeah, there have been so many. I haven't had a real chance to look at all the assists, but it was the, the Campbell one against uh, Olympiakos was brilliant. There's an amazing photo doing the rounds somewhere. If you look forward, you can see uh, Campbell just slotting the ball through about seven, six or seven Olympiakos defenders looking for the run of uh, the run of Giroud, who actually had good movement. He's capable of good movement. So that was a good yeah. one. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like that photo of, is it Maradona in 86 or something? You know, he's surrounded by... Oh, yeah, all the Belgian players, yeah. Belgians, yeah. yeah. It's very similar. Campbell is... Yeah, Campbell Maradona. clearly is, is right up there with, uh, with Maradona. Um, funniest moment of the season? Well, Craig Dawson again, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's hard to look past the, the fight at the end of Chelsea Spurs, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's so brilliant. So brilliant. The way they lost the plot was just amazing. It really was. I mean, they suddenly remembered they were Spurs in such spectacular fashion. <laughs> um, this one, at no one, N-O-H underscore one. There's a nice little play on words. He says, best moment was Van Hal muck falling down at Old Trafford against Arsenal while complaining. I thought that was quite funny, actually. That was genuinely quite funny. I've enjoyed some of Van Hal's moments. I enjoyed him the other day referencing uh, the hair pull on Maran Fellaini as something being akin to sex masochism. Yeah, those are words you do not want to hear. <laughs> it was very disturbing. I mean, I, yeah. And he, he was also insisted he wanted his players to be horny earlier in the season. I mean, I don't know what's going on in, in Louis van Gaal's personal life, but it's, he's obviously a very charged man at the moment. That is very um, true, yeah. Actually, yeah, I remember doing a thing on that for the uh, for the Arscast. There was, a, there was a horny bit. I'll see if I can bring it up here yeah. while we're talking. Well, there you go. Um, okay, well, we'll get some more fan art through. Horny, 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 horny. I'm just trying to think of other funny moments. I mean, look, I these are all quite recent, but John Terry obviously being sent off and his head in his hands as he realised he'd missed his farewell game at Stamford Bridge. Have you seen the latest on that, by the way? No. I, I saw this doing the rounds yesterday uh, that he might be hiring Stamford Bridge to, in order to have a farewell game. Here we go. John Terry hires Stamford Bridge to stage his own Chelsea farewell game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. He's told friends he's considering a lucrative offer in China, but he will still play on the Stamford turf for one last time after hiring the stadium for a specially arranged match with his closest friends next Monday. Who's so he? there you go. Wow. I mean, a bit of an anti-climax, whatever way you look at it. Neil Coleman at Neil G. Coleman said, easily my best moment of the season, and it's John Terry 
lying on the ground with his head in his hands. He's on his knees. He's got his head down, knowing he's going to get a red card, knowing exactly what that means, knowing that he's never going to get to play at Stamford Bridge again. You could see him when he was going off as well. And the referee is standing over him, basically with a red card in his hand. The ref might as well just be pissing on his back yeah, for the significance of that red card. So, yeah, I mean, you've got to say that that's... Um, that's definitely one of the, the funniest moments of the season. Probably the funniest red card. Yes, probably. I mean, look, we've mentioned it already in another category. Flamini at Spurs, still hysterical. Yeah. Um, I was trying to think if there were any Well, I, there were others. I, I have to say that I, I really enjoyed the slow, inexorable meltdown of Jose Mourinho it's not well, necessarily yeah. a moment, is it? We haven't mentioned his sacking, I guess. Uh, there was there was something to be drawn from that. Although I think by the time they were doing that badly, we all kind of wanted him to stay, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, he was doing so badly, but we knew that that was not going to be the case. But I just, I, I, when you look back over the course of the season, how it all came to pass, he started in the summer, he was making it personal with, with Pellegrino. Remember he called him Pellegrino and he was mm. on about Wenger. Remember after the Community Shield when we won, he waded down the bottom to shake the hands of all the Arsenal players, making it all about him. And he was going, I'm just trying to be a classy guy. And, he, you know, he's just being a fucking prick. And from there, what happened with the doctor, the way that the team stopped playing for him. And was it against was it against West Ham where he where they lost? And then he did the, the Sky guy said, Well, Jose, uh, what do you think of that? Not great. And he did like his five or eight minute rant about yeah, that, was, that uh, was hilarious. That was amazing. And just watching him slowly fuck himself over the course of the season was was absolutely hilarious to me. Yeah, uh, that was funny. Speaking of funny, I like this tweet from Guna Adam. He says his favourite moment was being crowned away from home champions by Austin Wenger last week. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I enjoyed the demise of, uh, of uh, Mourinho enormously. Mm. Uh, particularly, I think, sort of um, encapsulated in that match. I think it was his final match, was it, in charge, where they lost at Leicester. Uh, to Claudio Ranieri, the manager who he had mocked both at Chelsea and in Italy. Yeah. Uh, and it was a brilliant Riyad Mahrez goal as well, as it, I recall. It certainly them. was. All right. So that's the that's the best of the season. That is the best of the season. There we go. Is there anything else we should be? Oh, here's one. Alex Peters. I didn't see this. He says, my favourite was one of the Arsenal fan TV lads trying to start a fight with West Ham's teddy bear mascot. <laughs> I didn't see that. That's I didn't be see brilliant. it, but I'd pay good money to watch it. <laughs> the the clip of that or the actual fight? Oh, the fight! Yeah, I want to see it. Let's stage it. Let's hire Stanford Bridge for it. Do you know what they did? What was that website? Um, we've had these things before, haven't they? They've been like tramp fights, tramps fighting, and bug fights where you like put a gigantic scorpion against a mega centipede and all that kind of stuff God. but maybe fans versus mascots is the new the new idea for reality TV there's money in that yeah Gunnosaurus jujitsuing the fuck out of some guy who's giving him some stick West Ham's teddy bear mascot against the the Arsenal fan TV guy that'd be something look I, I'm a, I'd pay to see it I'd love it. Let's make I'm it. I'm sure BT Sport will screen it. They, they'll put anything on. <laughs> if they put Robbie Savage on, they'll put anything on. So let's, on uh, yeah, we should crowdfund that ourselves. Fans versus mascot fights. 
Kickstarter. Yes. To start kicking each other. <laughs> All right. Well, look, um, should we do just a couple of questions before we go? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Um, I mean, I, I haven't got any to hand, but I'm going to just choose a random. Okay. Well, I've got one here while you're choosing. Okay. You a do few. that. Uh, on Dennis Bergkamp's 47th birthday, what was your favourite DB10 goal? Uh, I want to say, is it Sunderland with the mouth covering? Yes. Yeah, for me, that's just amazing. Amazing. There was, I mean, the chips. I mean, he hit some great balls and uh, whacked a few in from distance. But for me, it was always the kind of the soft, chippy curlers were brilliant. There was one against Sheffield United in, was it an FA Cup game? Maybe it was a Premier League game, I can't remember. Uh, Brilliant one. Leverkusen, Bayer Leverkusen. That's a great goal. That's That's a a great great one. Um, The goals against Leicester, of course, where he won... um, Goal of the month, one, two, and three. Even though you'd have to say he was a bit lucky to get it for the second one because it got a deflection, didn't it? And scooped up and... Yeah, that was a little fortunate. But, I mean, uh, the other goals in that game, absolutely brilliant. And I, I really like the one with from distance, actually, because it sort of sticks in the top corner slightly. Mm. In a very satisfying yeah. way. Yeah, yes. Uh, but, yeah, he scored a tap-in at Newcastle that wasn't bad. Yeah, I remember that well. one, yeah. So-so, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's, that's Sunderland goal for me. I don't know. I just, it just something pretty but magical about it's, that one. It's the drag back and then bringing the ball to a place where you think he can't do what he's what he ends up doing with it. That is sort of too much under his feet, and that he won't be able to open his body enough and open his foot up enough to curl it into that top corner. But he does it. Um, yeah, I love that goal like a lot, a lot. Mm, mm, me too. Okay, here's a question from me. Mm. It's uh, it's not really about football. <laughs> okay. It's from Peter Kennelly, um, at Kennelly Peter, and he says, you're a lobster. You go to a restaurant to pick your finest human to eat. Who do you choose? Oh, fuck, that's a really good question. Yeah. Like, Are the humans in a tank or a pen? Are they submerged in, in water? They're in a tank, but there's they've all got snorkels on. <laughs> Um, what do right, lobsters I've got a... like to eat? Ah, oh, interesting. You're thinking about it as if you're a lobster. Yeah, because we like lobsters because they're delicious. But I mean, do you do you have to like put the human in a pan of boiling water? Yeah, you cook it alive. Yeah, I think so. Right. Okay. But you don't do that. There's a chef who does that. But you will have to eat them. So don't just be uh, like, oh, I'll I'll pick John Terry or Piers Morgan. I want it, or Piers uh, Morgan, so that they get cooked alive. You're still going to have to eat all their flesh. Can I not oh. just get a side salad? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. You, you'll have to... Because it says, who's, who do you choose? You're picking your finest human to eat. Are attractive people more delicious to eat? It, well, they've probably got better bodies. If or do they you are generally eat a fat attractive. person? I don't know that you do. I mean, you need some sort of fat, don't you, when you get a, a steak, because the marbling in the steak, it provides the fat, gives it the flavour and all that kind of stuff. So you want a big fat cow... Um, to to make you your steak, but I don't know if that necessarily would be true with humans. The idea mm. of human fat doesn't really appeal to me, even if I am a lobster. I don't necessarily feel like that's a good thing. Whereas if you got somebody too muscular, like if you, for example, you at the Rock, surely you're just eating sinew rock. and rock and, yeah. and 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 I, I, I won't say that perhaps his meat would be tainted. 
in any way by genetically modified. Yeah, you know, it's you know not the way quite they, organic. Yes, exactly, exactly. There have been artificial enhancements made to that meat. So uh, let me think: who, if I was a lobster, would I eat? God Almighty, I don't know. Let's narrow it down. Yeah. Which Arsenal player? Santi Cazorla. Yeah, see? Yeah, just the right mix of athletic was, and... I mean, yeah. I, ideally, I'd I'd roast him on a spit like a, like a suckling pig. Yeah. That seems a bit harsh. I mean... Yeah. We, <laughs> poor, poor Santi. Like, whatever about dropping him in straight into, like, boiling water, it'd kill him immediately, but I don't know. Okay. I'm just thinking what would be delicious, that's all. I, I think probably Santi Cazorla would be the most delicious Arsenal player because he eats a lot of Spanish ham and Spanish food, so he'd be slightly cured. Remember, I'm a lobster in this scenario. I, I am, lobsters aren't capable of empathy. I'm just going on instinct. I'm going on what looks delicious to me. Yeah. So who would you pick? I'd pick Santi, but oh. I'd have Joel Campbell in contention. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I could see I just, that. Serge, just, Serge Gnabry? Serge Gnabry looks absolutely delicious. Mm, fillet of Serge. Wow. I mean, I mean honestly, the things you could do. Mm, the coat, it. coat de Gnabry. <laughs> Be brilliant. All right, here's, here's one before we go. We're going to wrap it up okay. now. Um, this one comes from Hazuki-san, who is at the Byronic Gent. Okay. Really likes Byron, mm. I'm guessing, which is fine. It's good. He says, would you start Rosicki and Arteta against Villa this weekend? Uh, if they are capable of it. It's been a while since we've seen Arteta, but by all accounts, he is fit. Um, if, they are, if they're capable of it, I, I would certainly consider it. I'd... But do you know what? Maybe it's better to not start them. Maybe it's better for them to get the reception of coming off the bench and mm. not running the risk of a sort of... Muted departure through injury after half an hour. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I'd have them on the bench probably, uh, and make sure they each got their own introduction and they got a reception that way. Yeah, I don't think they need to start the game. No, I mean I think there's still uh, some relative importance to this game because obviously what happens in midweek will dictate where we're going to end up this season. Uh, you know, we could have top four secured by the time Sunday comes around, or we could need a point. Uh, at least to secure that top three, top four position. Uh, as well as that, if things go right, we could still be playing for second place. So I think there's a need to take the game relatively seriously, but I'd certainly have them on the bench and uh, all things going well, you'd be able to bring them on with 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes to go. Let them get the receptions that they deserve and uh, and hopefully they can make a, a little bit of a contribution in those, in those final few minutes. Mm-hmm. All I right. Agree. Okay, well, look, there we go. That's Tuesday's edition of the Arscast Extra, our week-long extravaganza of Arscast Extras. Thank you very much indeed for listening. Thank you as well for all the questions and all the tweets. Uh, very much appreciate those, even though we can't get to them all. Uh, we do read them all. Uh, it's just a matter of just getting around to them. We're not judging you on them. Don't feel like we don't think your contributions are, are worthless or... 
I, I am good judging enough. you. you I'm are. judging all of them, yeah. <laughs> I'm reaching very harsh judgments about them all. Right. No, n- not at all. Thank you for all your questions. It's it's great. I mean, oh. keep them coming. We're going to need them. We are, we are. By we're- Thursday, we're going to be really struggling. Yes, this is true. So uh, the onus is on you to help us create something that you might vaguely perhaps want to listen to or uh, maybe be sick of at that point. But, you know. <laughs> all right, we'll catch you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Bye-bye.